today uh, we start a collection of series that I've been dreaming about, right? And um, the reason is because I, I just, I have this conviction and I, I have this conviction that especially across the Western world, churches are weak. Christians get away with this sort of surface level knowledge. We're just sort of happy to leave it there. And I see this sort of collection of series as like um, to the Christian faith what deadlifts are to the weightlifter. They sort of engage every muscle. If you're going to grow, if you're going to be stronger, you, you, deadlifts is like pretty cool, you know. And that's what these collection of series is doing. I want to put some. I want. To, I, want I want us to put some muscle on. I want us to grow deep. And the reason is because you and I are living in a world where truth is relative, where so many people want things about the Christian faith, like they want love and they want joy and they want peace, but they don't. They won't want the only one who actually brings that. We live in this world that is postmodern. It means we gather around us a set of beliefs that sort of work for us. And so my truth can be my truth and your truth can be your truth. You can believe whatever you want as long as you're not hurting anybody. And yet the tragedy is in our world we are grappling with some of the huge issues like beginning of life and end of life and identity and what we're actually about and how do we relate to one another. And we are all at sea. Because we have no framework within which to talk. And the problem, I think, is that not only are we we talking like this without any sort of reference point in the culture, often we're talking without any sort of reference point in the church. And and, and the thing is, there is another layer of complexity if you're raising kids today. So my goal over, we're probably going to do sort of, Two, maybe three of these series every year. We're going to do six of them. They're called pillars. And these are the, these aren't the debatable issues about faith. These are the core things that Christians throughout every generation have always believed. Things without which the sort of whole roof comes down. And, and, and the questions you and I are answering, asking in our culture and we're trying to work out These series won't answer those questions specifically. But as a community, as we're talking about some of those big things, my hope is as we go through this collection of series, increasingly our questions and our answers and our conversations and our prayers will happen within this framework that we're building. This biblical framework. Are you ready for some muscle? you ready to do some deadlifts? Some squats? So this first... Message. I bought my wrong glasses today, and so I can't. It's, I can read, but I can't see you so well. Uh, oh, it's a humbling moment. Because um, I like being strong, you know. I like being fit, and I, these glasses are proving that I can't see very well. So, favorite book? It was a mean question, right? Favorite book was a mean question. How many of you just really struggled to boil it down to one? Yeah, exactly. Um, just any shout-outs? Come on, favorite book. I've never even heard of that. There we go. Anybody else loving that book? Okay. Anybody else? Favorite book? A Wrinkle in Time. Any other votes for that? Craig, scratching your head. I didn't have you down as a, a Wrinkle in Time guy. Um, anybody else? Cat in the Hat. You're showing, you're showing your... 
you know, there's other there's books you could go for. We've gone for Dr. Seuss. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. What? Captivating. Who's that by? Ah, there you go. Ah, never heard of it. That's all good. The Chronicles of Narnia, so good. Well, today we begin a four-week series we're calling Bestseller, and we're focusing on this book. We're focusing on Scripture. It is the best-selling book of all time by far. Some sort of conservative estimates uh, are that this book has sold 3.9 billion copies over the last 50 years alone. That's not the highest estimates of how many copies of the Bible have been sold. That's just like sort of ballpark 3.9 billion copies over the last 50 years alone and it's not included in bestseller lists because it's a bit unfair because of the number of copies that are given away but can the thing is the question I guess I want to ask is can this book like why is this a bestseller it, given its sort of ancient nature, it is uh, the Bible is a book written in a, by about 40 different authors using three different languages on three different continents over 1,500 years. The last uh, part of it, Revelation, was written towards the end of the first century, AD 95, 96, by, by Jesus' last surviving disciple, John, exiled on the island of Patmos. And I think the challenge is, so often we apologize for the ancient nature of this book, right? It's an old book. You heard it on there. It's outdated. How could it possibly be relevant today? But can I suggest that the ancient nature of Scripture is actually a strength? There are 100,000 new podcasts every single week. How many of us will be still talking about them in a year's time? I'm not talking about podcasts, I'm just talking about in general. How, what, what is one thing you've heard this week that you're still going to be talking about in a year's time? That, think of how many books have been produced. Think about the, the important books today that you're like, this is core, cool. we're never forgetting this. How many, of it, how many of those books will last our lifetime? And yet this book, the Bible, was completed nearly 2,000 years ago, and I want to suggest that it is as relevant and as necessary today as it ever has been. It has stood the test of time. Its ancient nature is actually a strength. But I want to ask the question, why is it unique? Why is it? If you're new to church, you might be asking, like, why do you care about this book so much? What is it that is so special about it? I want to take us to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. This core text on why we consider Scripture so important, why we hold it in such high regard. If you've got a Bible, turn there now. We're going to put the words up on the screen. Paul, one of like the most famous uh, followers of Jesus, uh, a real, I shouldn't say this, but like pillar in the early church. Don't get confused. And he's writing to his protege. He's coming to the end of his life and he's writing to this young pastor, Timothy, in the context of all sorts of false teaching and deception and weird and wonderful ideas that are floating around. And Paul's like, I'm not going to be around much longer to to keep encouraging you and keep guiding you. What am I going to leave with you? What do I need to remind you of in these last moments of my life? I'm going to remind you of what we believe about the scriptures. And so 2 Timothy 3, I'm going to read from verse 
14. But as for you, that is Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. Some translations say inspired. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What is it that makes Scripture unique? And it's this word. This is like core to so much we're going to see. I want to say actually everything we're going to talk about over the coming uh, weeks. All scripture is God breathed. It's a word that Paul actually makes up. It's made up of these two Greek words meaning God and breath. And Paul brings them together and he's like all scripture is God breathed. And, and so God who said let there be light. God who, who spoke all that ever existed into being. God who breathed the breath of life into you creates these scriptures by that same voice. This book is powerful because God is powerful. This book is beautiful because God is beautiful. This book is timeless and has stood the test of time because it ultimately is the work of the eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful God whose knowledge can never be called into question and the beauty is that he didn't God didn't breathe this book out in some sort of like dictation trance like process he spoke through the culture and and the times and the personalities of the authors but but so that the resulting book the end product can rightly be regarded as his word and we don't know too much about how that process happened but the closest we get is another one of Jesus' disciples uh, followers Peter and in his second letter to Peter chapter 1 he writes this we're going to move pretty quickly this morning okay verse 19 we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter's saying, pay attention to the scriptures. They're like light in the darkness until Jesus returns. Verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so Peter's acknowledging the scriptures come about through human authors, but the ultimate author is God. They come through the Holy Spirit. And he uses this word, carried along. It's a phrase that we find in the book of Acts where there's a storm and and there's a ship on the seas. And you imagine a ship, an old sailing ship, in a big storm, okay? The captain's making decisions, the captain's doing some steering, maybe making some, you know, giving some orders. But where is that ship ultimately ending up? It is ending up where the wind drives it, where the wind carries it along. 
What Peter is saying is here, that is a picture of how these scriptures come about. Yes, through human authors. Yes, through their personalities. But actually, it's the Holy Spirit that is driving these people along so that the book we end up with, the scriptures we end up with, can rightly be regarded as the book that God intended us to have. So the question then comes, if you go back to 2 Timothy, well, how do we know what all scriptures are? If all scriptures are God-breathed, how do we know that this book, this sort of collection of 66 books that we have, can actually rightly be regarded as all scripture? And so you have the Old Testament, 39 books of the Old Testament, and um, those are the sort of Jewish holy scriptures. And by the time of Jesus, they were largely settled. The order is sometimes different, but those scriptures were, were settled by the time of Jesus, the Son of God, who refers to them as scripture. And so that part is pretty uncontroversial. The challenge comes with the 27 books of the New Testament. Can we regard those? Because Timothy, when Paul writes to Timothy and says all scripture, he's referring to the Old Testament. So what about these 27 books that we're talking about here? I want to suggest two pieces of evidence. I want to acknowledge that this is a, a big issue, a challenging issue. I don't want to try and answer it in a moment. Uh, one of the things we've actually done with Life Group Resources, uh, this uh, series, is we've put together like some extra stuff that you might want to read, some videos that you might want to look at if you're, willing, if you're wanting to go deeper here. But there's two comments I want to make uh, around these 27 books of the New Testament. Number one, Jesus told us to expect further communication, right? He says, he talks to his disciples and he says, when I leave, the Spirit is going to lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is going to remind you of everything I have said to you. And so we should be expecting, you know, further things to be written after the life and ministry of Jesus. And also Peter again helps us out. If you go to 2 Peter chapter 3, um, Peter has read the letters of Paul, and I love this, read this, right? 2 Peter chapter 3 says this, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Verse 16, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. I love this. Peter's like, I've read some of Paul's letters and they're hard to understand. So when you read Paul's letters and you're like, this is pretty hard to understand, you can take comfort in the fact that Peter, one of Jesus' like top disciples, also found it hard to understand. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So what Peter's saying is, you've got the Old Testament, you've got these scriptures, and people try and distort that, just as they do Paul's letters, but he refers to this scripture as other scripture, just as they do the other scriptures, which means Peter is putting the writings of Paul on the same level as Old Testament. And so we're getting this picture that the very earliest people in the church regarded the New Testament as it was being written as on the same level as Old Testament scripture. And... um, Fortunately, I believe the Bible is more reliable than this uh, music stand. So how did it become? So, so, so the thing is that the, the New Testament begins to come together over time. And you begin to wonder, okay, so how, did, how do we know that the 27 books of the New Testament are actually regarded as all Scripture? We've been told, hey, we, we're to expect it. We've been told that early church did acknowledge that, these, that, 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 um, that some of them were. 
And the truth is that these 27 books began to be regarded as Scripture over time. There wasn't one council at one time, much as Da Vinci Code would like to tell you. It was a, it was a council that decided it. It wasn't. These, these books came to be acknowledged as Scripture over time, and there were three things that went on. Uh, number one, every single book of the New Testament is written in the first century in the life of the apostles. And so the followers of Jesus, that Jesus said, these guys, that the Spirit is going to lead these guys into all truth, all of these books were written during their lifetime. Secondly, the, 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 the books that were included were in line with the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. It's called orthodoxy. It means right belief. It's this idea that these books were in line with what God had already spoken, what was already written. But thirdly, and the thing that I think I love the most, is this idea of... Um, these books were used universally across the churches. It wasn't like they picked up a book that was just being used by the sort of church in Rome and they're like, okay, everyone needs to listen to this now. No, it was actually the, the book was being used over here in Europe and it was being used here in, in Asia and it was being used here in Africa. And it's like the, the church broadly was acknowledging, yeah, we acknowledge that these books are Scripture. And so I, be- I genuinely believe, and I've looked into it, and I'm encouraging you to do the same, that I believe that the 27 books of the New Testament, in addition to the 39 of the Old, can rightly be regarded as all Scripture. It means that I believe that we can hold this book in our hands and say, I believe this is the Word of God. Not just because I sort of blindly believe it, but because when you look at serious scholarship, we genuinely can regard this as the Word of God. And there are two principles, two, two main things that Paul wants you to take away if we go back to 2 Timothy. Two things that Paul wants you to take away as to why Scripture was given. What is the purpose of it? And here we go, 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 15. Paul writes this, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. Paul is talking about the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the poetry. And he says the ultimate reason by which it was given was to lead you to Jesus, to lead you to the one who could actually save. And I realize that some of you have probably written off the Old Testament like it's too hard to understand. I find it boring. It's it's weird. What about this issue? What about that issue? But know this, that the reason it was given was to lead you to salvation. It means every story, every page, every narrative, all of it in some way, page after page, is contributing to to God wanting to lead you to salvation. It's a theme that carries on in the New Testament with the followers, uh, the disciples of Jesus. And it speaks again, I think, to this sense that we can have that Scripture is just ancient. It's outdated. Like, how could it be relevant today? I ask this question. If Scripture is to lead you to Jesus... The Son of God who came and died in your place and my place to pay the penalty for our sin so that we might inherit eternal life. So that by His resurrection, death itself might be proved in some way to be untrue. That we might have hope beyond the grave. How could it be that this book could ever be outdated? Have we solved death? Have we worked our way past that by ourselves? No, that, that, that stuff is still going on. And in these scriptures, God is wanting to point you towards His one and only Son who has defeated death and wants to give you as a free gift eternal life. These, these pages will never be outdated. 
Because God is wanting to lead you to faith in His one and only Son. So number one, these scriptures are here to lead you to salvation. Number two, these scriptures are here to thoroughly equip you and I for every good work. Verse 17, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul lets us know, if you have a desire for a productive life, if you have a desire to actually do the good that God desires for us to do, the answers of what that looks like is in this book. Imagine a church where every single one of us is thoroughly equipped, not just averagely equipped, but thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul lets us know it's the answers of how we discover that sort of life is in these holy scriptures. How does that come about? Final thing I want us to get to this morning, verse 16. It says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for four things, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That that if we want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work, it comes through those four things, those four uses of this book. Teaching using this book, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And, and I, I find those terms quite hard to understand. I find them are they uh, um, quite hard to remember, like teaching, rebuking, correct. Like what does that mean? And I want to give you this picture that maybe helps you remember them. I love the outdoors, right? I absolutely love being outside. Uh, Friday, Jenny and I. I was sitting and we had a little bit of time together. Jenny says, what do you want to do? And I said, like, three options. I was like, first, I'd love to go for a walk. I'd already been out for like 11K run. And I'm like, I'd love to go out for a walk. And uh, she's like, it's pouring with rain and there's a big southern, like, why would you want to go out for a walk in this environment? It's just me. I love being outdoors, right? I love, and I know some of you do as well. This picture here is Mount Hector in the Tararuas. And uh, I love the Tararuas, um, but it's pretty easy to get lost. And um, in fact, I'm pretty sure there's somebody in this room who headed off the top of one of the peaks in the wrong direction and ended up in the wrong place. Well, it's not for me to point out who that was, but ask Gemma about it if you want to. And But if you find yourself lost, okay, if you find yourself in, the, in, in here, in, in that area, it's really easy to get lost. And if you find yourself in the wrong place, and you don't know where you are, and you don't know where you're going, what is the one thing you desire more than anything else in that moment? Is it not a map? Because a map will show you the reality of your surroundings, and then the map will show you where you are, and it will help you get back to where you should be, and then it will lead you in the right way so that you don't get lost again. That's what those four, these four words mean. When, when Paul writes, Scripture is there for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that you may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, those are the four things that it's talking about. Scripture, when it says teaching, it's not just talking about the process of teaching, it's talking about sound doctrine. It's talking about the re- describing things as they really are. When it says um, rebuking, it's talking about conviction. It's talking about showing you where you really are, showing you if you're in the wrong. Correcting, bringing you back so that you're in the right place. And then training in righteousness so that you're able to keep going in the right direction. I hope that sort of picture helps you understand what those four things. And I just want to pause on the final one because I find it interesting. This idea of training in righteousness makes me think about physical training. 
It makes me think about going to the gym. And, and the thing is, one big trip to the gym doesn't actually, doesn't actually change you very much, does it? Uh, but it's that small investment consistently over time that can actually bring big change. Imagine you go down to City Fitness and you're like, look, I need to get in shape. And, and you go and talk to a trainer and you're like, you get the best trainer they can provide. And, and you get them to take you through this massive workout. And then you stand in front of the mirror and you're like, well, that training didn't work. I'm no different. You, I thought this was going to strengthen me. Look at me. I look exactly the same. We don't expect one gym session to change us overnight. We understand when it comes to training that it takes small amounts of investment consistently over time. It is the same with Scripture. You know, I can, you, you, might, you might go away from this morning thinking, that was a terrible sermon. But uh, the, the value of this word is not based on the merits of one sermon. The, the, merits of this book, the, the value of this book is not based on the merits of just one moment reading the Bible. Like, did that work for me or not? Is my life completely different because of that, the verse I read or not? No, it's talk, what Paul's leading us into here is this consistency over time within which we are disciplined in engaging with these scriptures. It's why every single Sunday we open the Bible. It's why we don't just come. I don't, there's not one Sunday where you'll ever be here and have somebody up here going, well, I'd like to just share what I think about this. And we come to this book because we realize week in, week out, we want to be trained by this. We want to be led by this. And of course, some weeks it's going to be like, I'm going to be convicted by this. I'm going to be challenged by this. Sometimes it's going to be like, it's going to be bringing me back to where I should be. Sometimes it's going to be like, this this is leading me in the way I need to go. But week in, week out, we are training ourselves as a community around this word. It's why I think a commitment to Sunday mornings is important. I genuinely believe that. I think a commitment to to being with the church community week in, week out, by and large, is important. It means if you miss a Sunday, we put these things online so that you can catch up and be journeying with us as a community. It's why I believe in in, in a rhythm of reading this book regularly. I'm not going to be saying it has to be every day. I think that's a really great goal. But are you reading this book regularly that you and I would be... Thoroughly equipped for every good work. This world is a challenging environment to follow Jesus in. It's a challenging environment, whatever you're trying to follow. And for me, I want a map that tells me when I'm in the wrong place, that brings me to the right place, and leads me towards being thoroughly equipped for every good work. But you know, we don't worship this book. We don't hold it up there as like this is, um, you know, like we worship it in some way. We love this book because it leads us to the ultimate author. And he is the invisible, almighty, eternal God. And with, if he had not revealed himself to us, we would know nothing about him. But in this world, he has revealed himself to us. Through this, the pages of this book, he reveals himself to us. And this book leads you to the Son of God, the Word of God, Jesus Christ, who isn't just the words on a page. He is the Word of God in flesh. And the fact that God has gone to such great lengths to reveal Himself to us shows that He wants to be known. And in my heart of hearts, what I want us to go away with today is the desire that we would know Him, that we'd respond to what He's revealed to us about himself and so i want to challenge you to adopt 
a training program of reading this book. If you have not picked it up in years, I want you to dust it off and begin. And so one of the things you'll find in these life group resources, and you can pick some up at the back, you'll find um, that's the main action from this week is is, uh, developing a discipline around reading the Bible. And there's some stuff in here about... Every single week in these questions, I've got some pro tips on how to do that. If you're new to the Bible, or you're still like, maybe you've been trying to read it for a long time, you're like, I don't really know where to start. We've got a bunch of these guides at the back. I find these, this is pretty cool. It's like a handbook that goes alongside reading the Bible, helps you understand it a little bit more, understand the story, understand the purpose of it. It's got a little intro on every single one of the books. So grab one of those. If they all go today, you will make my week. And we'll have plenty more by next week. Maybe, I don't know, might might be a promise I can't keep. I want to encourage you though, what would one step look like for you to develop a rhythm of reading this book? Not uh, simply because if we genuinely believe that God has breathed out this book, you and I need to take that seriously and engage with it like it really is the word of God. Jamie, would you lead us as we sort of come to a close? Would you stand? And let's pray. Oh, Father, we want to thank you so much for this, for the scriptures. I want to thank you that you have desired to make yourself known to us. My prayer today, Lord God, is that we would, if we've been apathetic around this book, lazy around this book, if we've been satisfied with a sort of surface level and refused to go deep, been not been bothered to try and go a little deeper. God, I pray that you'd convict us by your Holy Spirit today. Not that reading the Bible earns us favor from you, but God, that it reveals the one who wants to give good things to us as a free gift. So God, I pray today that we would read this book. I pray that you would, by your Spirit, make us hungry for this book but not as an idol, not as an object of worship, but because, God, we desire to know you. God, we desire that our lives would have meaning and purpose and we'd walk in the ways that you would have us walk in. I don't want to come to the end of our lives, God, and go, was that a waste? And so, God, we want to pay attention to what you have revealed. Thank you, Lord God, that these pages ultimately lead us to your Son has given us the gift of eternal life through faith in him i want to thank you lord jesus that you never left you said you i promise that well you did leave but you've sent your spirit you said never will i leave you never will i forsake you and i pray that you would lead us in relationship with you and so god we turn our attention to jesus today we say we bring you our praise And we bring you our worship. And we bring you our adoration. 
Would you lead us in Jesus' name?